This is the Virgin Radio Pridecast. Hello, I'm Matt Kane, and welcome to Sunday Roast on Virgin Radio Pride. Come on! This is Virgin Radio Pride. And I hope you have all had a good week. I've had a brilliant one, to be honest. There's been lots going on. One of the highlights was I saw an amazing production of Hushabye Mountain, a play by Jonathan Harvey, and it was live-streamed from Hop Mill Theatre in Manchester. It really was a terrific production. Leighton Williams and Jodie Prenger in the cast. They were both brilliant. If you get chance to see it, please do. What else has been going on outside my world in the bigger world? We had American footballer Carl Nassib, who came out as gay. That generated lots of attention and excitement. I think that's an understatement. Doesn't do any harm that um, he's very nice to look at, shall we say. Easy on the eye. But seriously, it was great news for visibility and representation in sports in general. I mean, who knows? It may even have a knock-on effect in our football industry, or soccer, as the Americans call it. Maybe that's even going to be something we'll be discussing in a later show. For this one, as usual, everyone's welcome to get involved. If you want to contact us on social media, we're on at Virgin Radio UK, and I'm on at Matt Came Writer, or you can email us on pride at virginradio.co.uk. Go on, give us everything you've got. Now, I'm sure you're all dying to know who we've got on today's show. My first guest is Stephen K. Amos. He's one of our most popular and best-loved stand-up comedians. He's been on all the big TV panel shows, and he's a regular at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe, which is where he actually came out as gay on stage in 2006. He'll be joined by Rosie Wilby. She's also a stand-up comedian. She's appeared on radio shows such as Woman's Hour and Loose Ends before coming on this one. She's also a published author. Her first book, Is Monogamy Dead, was shortlisted for the Diva Literary Awards and her latest, The Breakup Monologues, is based on her popular podcast of the same name. I've also read it and it's brilliant. This is what we're going to be discussing on Sunday Roast. First question, in comedy, with so much sensitivity around jokes that make fun of us, are we in danger of losing our sense of humour? Next, with the pride flag being given another controversial update, which design best represents our community? And with so much conflict and division between the different sections of our community, what's the best way to bring everyone together? And the amazing Annie Wallace from Hollyoaks is going to be joining us for that discussion, which I'm very excited about. And finally, COVID has taught those of us lucky enough to have them to appreciate outside spaces and gardens. We'll be hearing from our guests about what they've been getting up to in their gardens. The Sunday Roast with Matt Kane. Virgin Radio Pride. Hello to my guests, Stephen K. Amos and Rosie Wilby. Welcome. Thank you very much. Hello. Nice for having you. Uh, thank you for having us. Thank yes. you for coming. Now, I'm going to be having a little chat with each of you in between our discussions and find out what you're up to. But I'm going to start by diving straight into our first subject. 
and it's a biggie oh. comedy. Oh. I'm hoping you're both going to bring expert knowledge to <laughs> bear here. Well, well, we have tread the boards, have we not, Rosie? Yes. <laughs> We've trod them a few times, yes. <laughs> okay, well, I want to know what you think of Jennifer Saunders' recent comments. She has hit out at the woke brigade, in inverted commas, for changing comedy, suggesting that issues around sensitivity have stopped a lot of the fun. Her comments came after warnings about discriminatory language have been added to shows like Dad's Army, Blackadder, and, of course, we've all heard about this one, Faulty Towers, specific episodes. But what I want to know is, are her comments another variation on you're not allowed to say anything these days and it's PC gone mad? Or does she have a point? And specifically, have we, the LGBTQ plus community, have we lost our sense of humour? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question, isn't it? Yeah. Now, for, for me, I think um, I have a huge amount of respect for uh, Jennifer Saunders. You know, her body of work st is a st uh, stands for itself. There's uh, a butt coming. <laughs> I'll tell, tell you what my butt is. We all know that attitudes and language changes over time. So the whole, the notion that wokeness or the, the, the notion of being woke is now seen as a negative is a prime example of that. When, when the whole ideology of woke came about, it was all about being aware of other people and, and stuff like that. But now it's weaponized. Now it's demonized. Now it's used as an insult. Oh, look, you're woke. And if you can use that same analogy in terms of comedy, right? Um, what, what people uh, said in comedy shows such as Dad's Army, as you mentioned, or if my era, um, Love Thy Neighbor, for example, they just kind of were, were, um, were representing what was going on at the time, the attitudes. But as time has moved on and the people who were maybe the butt of jokes now have a voice, the balance is shifting. And that's all it right, is. Right, so it's interesting. So you've said a lot in that opening Sorry. statement. I want to unpick. <laughs> no, it's all great. But actually, what you're saying is straight off the bat that um, her central premise to her argument about things changing over time is slightly disingenuous because, of course, they do. And who's ever going to argue with that? Mm, and that's that's what progress is, really. And I've noticed the same thing exactly happening on the live stage. Certainly when I started out in comedy in the mid-noughties, I remember doing a competition once and the compare doing a load of stuff when there were several gay acts on the bill and he did all this inappropriate stuff about, oh, that table over there is gay and using gay as an insult. And, you know, we've come so far because I think people really don't use that language anymore. But I've generally always thought that you're in a safe space to make fun of something and a certain stereotype and a certain section of the community if you belong to that community. So I do do a lot of jokes about being a lesbian and where the stereotypes about lesbians and all their cats and moving in on the second date with their delivery removals van and so on. Is it where, true? It is true. <laughs> the thing is, all these stereotypes are very true. I, you know, when I was first coming out, I wore dungarees and listened to KD Lang. You know, and, <laughs> and I do have two cats. Um, so I, th I think there's so much that is kind of fun and interesting about the stereotypes that emerge about being a lesbian. And by talking about those, I'm shining a light on actually some of the challenges about being a lesbian as well. I talked a lot in my shows about relationships and separations and breakups, of course, and I talk about lesbians' relatively high divorce rate. But I'm also shining a light on the fact that lesbians actually face this dual challenge of homophobia and sexism in the world and the fact that monogamy and marriage are actually quite patriarchal structures and maybe they don't work that well for lesbians. So I'm 
on the one hand, kind of making light of my lesbian identity and my lesbian friends and my lesbian community and how, I don't know, shows like The L Word <laughs> don't really represent us because we don't all have swimming pools in our backyards in Peckham, you know. If only. Um, <laughs> if only. Um, but also I'm shining a light on, on the challenges that we face. So I think that because I live as a big old lesbian and that is my experience I feel I'm in a place to <laughs> talk a about phrase, that what a lovely phrase a big old lesbian well I'm not sure I I'm wish quite... I could live as a big old lesbian <laughs> I'm quite I'm petite actually gay, but, yeah, <laughs> but, but I think I'm informed to talk about that whereas yeah. I think you know there's this difference between talking about your position in the world and possibly I think punching up and talking about people above you in your position of privilege in the world is also fair game but I think punching down is always a problem and I would feel on less comfortable ground kind of making fun about say the trans community who I feel need my support and my you know kind of nurturing and and I would be careful about what I was saying about my trans friends for example so I think there's a difference between talking about your own experience and other people's experience and particularly other people who maybe are in a slightly more fringe and minority and outsider position okay. in the world fantastic all right so Stephen what do you think about that is it that if you are part of the minority community you're allowed to poke fun at yourself, whatever that minority community is. Is that something you agree with? It depends what you mean by poke fun uh, at yourself, because I don't believe you get a free pass to just be cruel and insulting and just rude. Let's, let's break things down, right? We all know in our individual friend circle, our family, loved ones, there are things we'll say to each other that we would never dream of saying in open company because we know where the intent is, right? Yes, and everybody knows each other and everybody, yeah, you know the intent and even if somebody's playing around with um, ideas that may, you know, that people know that they're not your own. Yeah, Actually. I mean, I, I would be horrified if a complete stranger told me a, a racist joke, for example. Mm. Horrified. I mean, you don't know me on any level. I've had my best friends, you know, tell me a, a joke that they've heard. And maybe the structure is funny or whatever. And we've laughed. Or I wouldn't repeat it. And is that me, therefore, being woke? Is that someone else? What do you mean? It's about having respect. Because I also believe that with uh, nothing is off limits. No subject in comedy is off limits in the right comedian's hands. Mm. You know, it's one thing, because um, I remember, for example, um, uh, the, uh, you know, certain comedians of yesteryear doing jokes, um, and the comedian in there used to be, was a, a kind of a, a white, heterosexual, quite a big man. So his jokes about himself would be, look at me, aren't I fat, for example. And that therefore gave him license to say homophobic jokes, racist jokes, sexist well, that's jokes. Interesting. And you kind of go, that's not how this works. You know yeah. what I mean? I'll tell you what, though, actually, um, there were, when you were talking then, it suddenly hit me that a couple of times there was the suggestion that if the joke is good enough, mm-hmm. um, you you actually can get away with it more or there's more chance. What do you think? Rosie's nodding at this. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think comedians do things in the correct way mostly you know there are sadly some people who don't but I think most of the comedians I know that I've met on the circuit people like Stephen just have such an intelligent way of of dealing with things and and so I think that you know when I talk about lesbian and gay people I you know one of my 
kind of audience favourite routines is a routine I do about evolutionary theory and giant lesbians evolving because women all fancy a taller partner, whereas men often fancy a shorter partner or according to studies they do. So I do this thing about tiny gay men and giant lesbians. And so I'm trying to just kind of have fun with the idea that relationships are happening between women and the science of what that could mean in the evolutionary sense of how that's different from a partnership between a man and a woman. But I'm trying to do that in ways that straight people will kind of see that it's funny but it's just something clever about the fact that we're different but also the same and trying to make that bond with people and also when I used to talk about coming out to my mum it was about intergenerational communication and the nuances of that and the, the ways that gets misconstrued and how my mum did this whole embarrassingly uh, over enthusiastic thing about her daughter being a lesbian and reading lesbian poetry to my dad at the tea table <laughs> who was silently cringing and so just making it universal and making it about just being human in the world I think rather than poking fun at somebody yes. alright I've got a question for you I'm going to ask Stephen about Love Thy Neighbor later on because oh, that's right. a whole oh. and it's not just that one I mean that's like always cited as the example of several it, it is it is can I just sorry to interrupt you there yes. Matt because I remember watching remember Just Good Friends that was a yes. sitcom about yes. uh, a guy and a girl. Will they? Won't they? Blah. Yes. And it was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone was kind of behind her or, or or rooting for him. And I distinctly remember as a child one scene in particular where he's in a rush to meet her. He's running to the train station. In front of him, of him is an is a black man, right? And he's at the ticket desk, right? And the the film that's filmed from behind uh, the, the the black pa- uh, character, not even the character, the extras' point of view. And then the first thing you hear was a ticket collector go, what was that? And the guy goes, one ticket to Birmingham, please. And this was a joke. It was, this was repeated three times that the reason why this guy is going to be late to meet the girl is because there's a man there who can't communicate effectively what he wants. Yeah, and yeah. that was the joke. That's the joke. I know. Okay, That's not right. clever. So, here, so yeah. here's the thing. <laughs> Actually, um, well, I want to talk, I want to widen it out from LGBTQ plus um, jokes a bit later, but... For now, actually, there's always, when people make these comments, there's always the suggestion that we're being oversensitive. And part of the reason we are sensitive is that we all grew up with Mm. people making fun of us. Whether that is, I want to ask Rosie about the lesbian jokes in Friends, but um, I'm sure Stephen will remember. I mean, I grew up with Larry Grayson, John Inman, um, (laughs) who were figures of fun, the butt of the jokes. I mean, to complicate things slightly, they were both very well loved um they didn't obviously didn't have a healthy relationship with their sexuality they never owned it or it was always a dirty shameful secret that was never out in the open and then there was another one i don't know if you remember Stephen. somebody called well actually you may both do duncan novell and the chase me was yes. his catchphrase yes he wasn't even gay yeah. And actually, Rosie said earlier, if they are gay, that makes a difference. I mean, in those days, nobody could say whether they were or weren't, actually. So you had Duncan Novell, Larry Grayson, John Inman. They made us sensitive. I, I beg to differ, Matt Cain. I seriously do. And I'll tell you why. Because Larry Grayson, uh, when I think back to Larry Grayson, when I think back to, um, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Frankie Howard. Mm. These, get, these guys, although not publicly admitting their sexuality, were at the top of their game. They weren't actually the butt of the jokes. People did uh, impersonations of them, uh, that because that was easy to do. Uh, but they were really funny men. 
really good. The character that John Inman played uh, was a very stereotypical character, but he owned that character and and he played it well. I but suppose. In, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, in terms of people like Duncan Norvell's, what they've done is they people like that have taken an element of a certain um, uh, a certain aspect of what they perceive to be a homosexual to be and then run with that. That's why the Chasby thing really worked. Yes, I suppose what's complicated is actually um, you can't divorce things from the context of the time. And mm. even though they were brilliant comedians and what they were doing was landing, actually people would then use their catchphrases as insults and weaponize them against very visibly presenting gay people like me. How did you feel, Rosie, when you heard constant lesbian jokes from the straight men in Friends? Um, I've never actually been a massive Friends fan, but <laughs> but subconsciously, I don't really know if that was the reason why. But I, I do think that Stephen's absolutely right, that many of these comedians were very clever and were not doing things in a way that is meant to be inciting hate or has any harmful intention, but it's the way that other people have interpreted that and used it. I actually was a researcher on a documentary film in the 90s called A Bit of Scarlet, where we traced a history of lesbian and gay imagery in British film and television, and we used fil uh, clips of carry-on films of um, Kenneth Williams and Charles Hawtrey mm. dressing up in drag in Carry On Constable, <laughs> and they were just so brilliant. We totally yes. claimed that in a very celebratory way, because we thought it was a it was a celebratory campness that that they were making very very mm. funny and and in, entertaining. Although I do take your point there, Matt, about you know if you were a child who maybe were particularly more effeminate than the, your counterparts, then that would make you an obvious target. But I, I I throw this back at you, Matt. How many of our parents? I give I'll give an example of my mum. My mum had no idea that Kenneth Williams, Danny Larue, all the people you've mentioned were even gay. It didn't cross no, her mind. No, people didn't. Um, no, I, I completely agree it's with amazing. you. People, she was just like, what? People didn't read signs mm. in quite... People just had such little understanding of it, actually. You're listening to the Virgin Radio Pridecast. We're going to be talking about intent now when people make jokes. But before we do, I'm just going to put a couple of listener comments mm -hmm. to my ace panel, Stephen K, Moss and Rosie Wilby. So Alan on Facebook says, I always think there's a line and we all know what that line is, but comedy is comedy and it's used at times to juxtapose the ridiculous nature of homophobia. So it's important to be sensible. Um, he talks about Abfab seeing him through some tough times. This is going back to Jennifer Saunders' comments. Um, Grant on Twitter agrees with Jennifer Saunders, especially in her lane of comedy where she's never done anything but celebrate the absurdity of gay culture. It seems very self-aware and is made by queer people. Mm. I think sometimes you don't get anywhere being offended constantly. And at the end of the day, a lot of LGBTQ culture can be absurd and is as much open to good-hearted mockery as other topics. So actually what he's saying there is intent, which I want um, to talk about. Somebody else says, um, Peter on Facebook says, if someone is made to feel small or less than, then it's a joke, less than, then it's a joke, not, it's a Sorry. If someone, I'm getting mixed up with this. If someone is made to feel, it's almost like a joke itself. If someone Get is made to, to feel line, small or less than, then it's not a joke, it's a jibe. Oh. Right, so what do you think? What about intent? If somebody is 
if somebody is trying to make fun of somebody, trying to go down, as you said, Rosie, they're trying to make somebody feel small, they're opening up the idea that other people in the community may weaponise it against them. What do you think? But you know Stephen? what? To be honest, uh, Matt, that's not what comedy is about. Comedy is not about making people feel small. It's about using words, uh, intellect to uh, dissect a subject, you know, to to be a commentator on, on social attitudes or whatever. You know, this whole notion that you can't say what you want anymore, blah, blah, blah. That's just, you know, a wimp's cop out. That no subject is off limit. And as I said earlier, it doesn't fall on just a comic of a certain, if a black comic isn't only allowed to make black jokes. You know, yeah. a white comic can make a race-based joke if it's a good race-based mm. joke. You know, if it's just uh, calling people names, that's clearly not a joke. Does that you know? have to be, in terms of the structure of a joke and a set, does there always have to be a butt and a fall guy for every joke? Uh, Absolutely no, no, not. No, definitely no, not. No, no. I mean, Rose, what do you think about that thing when people say, oh, you can't joke about what you want anymore, you can't see what you like? Because my thing about that, anyone, mm. anyone who's ever said that to me, uh, people come up and say that to me after gigs sometimes, I say to them, what is it you want to say that you think you can't say? Ooh, say it now. Listen you know to you mean? challenging no, that. No, because, you yeah. know, what, what does that mean? You can't joke about anything. Of course you can. Oh, yeah. No, I think so. I certainly have often worked on the philosophy that tragedy plus time equals comedy in my breakup podcast. And people who've come on that have talked about, gosh, all kinds of difficult subjects, suicidal thoughts and um, really terrible divorces and breakups and, and really huge periods of depression and, and mental illness. So there's a lot of stuff there and that think, doesn't necessarily lend yeah, itself to, yeah, yeah. to laugh out loud comedy, but the audience are really locked in with that because you're sharing. And I think the best comedy gigs are where you really connect and create a sense of community. Yeah, well, and also where what kind of world will we live in where you have to watch everything you say because somebody might get upset. I mean, that's part of life. We're going to get upset at things. You know, I in my last show, I talked about death. I'm assuming in my audience, somebody would have experienced death. Mm. Does that mean I'm now billeting their experience? No, I'm talking about mine. And hopefully in a funny way. And as Rosie says, having a connection with people. Because death is and one of those things that's going to that. We've us all, all lost yeah. people. I love that idea of comedy bringing people together, hitting on things that make us realise everybody in that room, we all have something in common. Absolutely. But listen to this. So I want to put something to you, Stephen. You were just talking about offence. Tom on Facebook says, I think people would do well to remember if you're offended by something, it doesn't mean other people have to care that they've offended you. I think that's where the problem lies. I don't owe you an apology for your offence. What do you think about that? I think that's, that's, that sounds a bit harsh, but I do believe in the sentiment that um, uh, nobody has uh, the innate right not to be offended. You know, mm. because I've been offended by different things, you know, not necessarily just joke, but things that happen in life generally. And we don't have the, the not the not we don't have the monopoly on a, just a, a cozy existence because that's not how life works. You know, a, yes, a comedy uh, club or a comedy show, a theater show or a sitcom uh, hopefully will make you laugh. 
But you know, it's not designed for everybody. Not everybody's <laughs> going to get it. And that is fine. I, it doesn't mean that I, as a comic, can't talk about suicide yeah. or can't talk about mental health. Just because somebody in the audience might get triggered by a word. Yeah. We've got a very good friend of ours, a very good friend of mine called Kerry Marks. You know, Kerry oh, yeah, Marks, yeah, yeah, right? I know Kerry, yeah. His whole thing is he, he, he plays around with words and the value people put on words, right? Some people don't he, even hear the context of a joke. They hear one buzzword and they're off. Right, and then the and I won't repeat his joke, but it's very clever. It will, I'll tell you uh, when we get to the next break. <laughs> it works on so many different levels, and and that thing about you know we're now in an era because of social media of of things getting twisted and and repeated, and mm. and the context is gone and the intent is gone, and then people there are some people who just want to 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 get offended and cancel people just as a knee jerk reaction. Absolutely, I think what's interesting here is it reminds me of some stories that I've shared in my breakup monologues podcast and book, and I. I wanted to share a story about a woman who I only had a very, very brief fling with, but my response to being dumped by her, rejected by her, was quite extreme and quite disproportionate and quite big because I realised... <laughs> well, I know, but I realised that it was because she had triggered some painful memories for me ah, of being excluded at school and being bullied. Now, you know, do I then make her responsible for my response and my oh. feelings or... Do I go away and think about trying to deal with the original thing that has hurt me and, and talking to friends and talking to supportive people and therapists or, or whatever? So I think, you know, I was really careful in the way that I wanted to present that story to not make it about, oh, this terrible person did this terrible thing because my response was my response and that had a lot to do with a lot of other things. So, so I think we all need to check yeah. ourselves sometimes when we respond to things. And I do sometimes get offended by things, but then I, I think now, particularly through doing all this work about breakups and rejection, which is a tough topic, I've realised that we all need to think for a moment sometimes because we do make knee-jerk reactions, as you say, and we go, oh, I'm offended. And it, dep it depends on the mood you're in, how yeah. you're feeling mm. at the time. If You know, if you've things that have happened in your life and but also sorry sorry Matt I keep interrupting you no 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 it's, it's just your dulcet tones you know <laughs> you're interrupting with good things you're interrupting with good I've comments, not been so up north fine. for so long <laughs> <laughs> have you got your whip it with you um, we're, not, we're, take offense. <laughs> we're not heckling see, see we're laughing you yeah. see no, I'm actually cackling no but can you, can, you, can you imagine though if somebody that you don't know uh, heard you on the phone for example in the street and just walked, walked up hey you got a whip it with you I know, I would, actually, I would be offended. Though. Yeah. I would be offended then. And it's really interesting what you're saying about triggering and um, bringing back painful memories, opening up old wounds. We've all, when people made fun of me at school, the first line of defence of every bullet is, can't you take a joke? I was only joking. And I think that's sometimes why people can be over sensitive with comedy because it is opening up these old wounds and the wounds were inflicted by supposed jokes. Mm. That's a really good point, yeah. uh, Matt. And I, I'll, be, I'll put my hands up. I, I didn't uh, I didn't take that point of view, didn't even consider that for a second, because uh, I think that whole defense of going, it was only a joke, it's a cop-out, isn't it? It's just a cop-out, because it's about the intent. And we all know as school bullies, the problem, though, with children is that they don't quite know what I they're know, saying. I know. They don't know how much it can hurt another child. And to them, it's a joke, because they've seen maybe adults do that on TV, or, you know, the limp-wristed character mm. is enough to make them go, oh, look at you, because they don't quite know. 
But when you get to a certain age, you know, when, when you start being able to think for yourself, become more aware and knowledgeable, then you don't get a free pass like that. Mm. Um, I'll tell you what I want to ask you, actually. You mentioned um, Love Thy Neighbour before. Horrendous. Awful. But it wasn't it wasn't the only one. I mean, if you look at Till Death Do Us Part, Mind Your Language. Actually, a stand-up comedian who used to perform a lot near where I grew up in the northwest of England was Bernard Manning. And um, he's kind of become a byword for a type of 70s comedy that made fun of women, ethnic minorities, gays. I mean everybody um are, are there any are there any take, making fun of minorities that are worse than others you know because i was looking at there was a discussion recently about little britain matt and david apologized for um doing blackface actually they were also in fat suits playing different genders um playing gay when they aren't gay <laughs> one of them but the issue with blackface, presumably, is maybe you can um, give us more context. It's actually because it's opening up wounds that have been inflicted. It was used as a tool of oppression in the past in mm. a way that um, switching, you know, comedians doing it, it wasn't. You know, it's it's kind. Of, is that why it's worse? Well, well, do you know, is that why it's worse? I think uh, the fact that you mentioned some very well-known uh, early seventies comedians. And, and their points of view. Think about the social structure of the time. Think about the position of women. Think about the position of ethnic minorities in the country who were relatively new. Think and there's something about difference. You know, if if you an ignorance. You know, it's it's easier to make a joke about someone who's different than it is to to be clever about them. Do you know what I mean? So um, when I was watching as a child uh, the black and white minstrels, I didn't quite know what the context context was because I was a kid. I didn't know. And uh, it was apparently light entertainment back in the day. And it was because it had been going on for years. You but know? it was a tool of oppression. But it was, yeah, exactly, yes. But I now I know yeah, that yeah, now. Yeah, 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 and yeah. of course, it's quite rightly offensive. Mm. And it's gross. And, it's, and, and, and people who say to me, oh, you know, it's what they did back then. There is... Some truth to that because that's what happened then. But that it helped create what happened then. Those comedians on stage making those racist jokes helped fuel racism. That's the point, isn't it? You know, we can't kind of explain it as belonging to the as being a result of the context of the time. Oh no, no, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm, I know you're not trying yeah. to do that. I'm not getting. I'm, don't worry, I'm not getting fired up at you. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> Jesus, I'm not wearing blackface today. <laughs> When these people say it, um, they don't realise that kind of thing. But I think maybe they do because uh, a lot of comedy, I mean, comedy has changed over the years. Even in my short time of doing this job, I've seen the change, not only in the audiences, but also in the comic voices that we now hear and see on stage. Um, but back at a, in a time where, you know, women were recently given the vote. They weren't given <laughs> equal pay. You know, there's all this disparity going on. Uh, we still not got equal pay. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, and mother-in-law the wife jokes, jokes, you the know, wife they, they were, they were the, like the order of the day because it's such an easy stereotype to hatch a joke on. But tastes, thankfully, have moved on, I would like to think. Mm. And humour, in terms of clever and thoughtful humour, has also moved on. Um, and there is always going to be a space out there for, for smut, for crude, for base, for easy jokes. There's always going to be a platform for that. And, and we know who the perpetrators of that are. <laughs> Don't we just... Can I, can I put... We need to wrap up. Can I put no, a thought? No, this is, a, this is, this is I our know, industry. I know, but so Matt, much more Matt to say. I think um, what we've really realised in this discussion is 
how far we've come and actually how much change has been driven by our responses to these types of humour and us realising that we do want to evolve the way we talk about certain topics. And if you look at how quickly the way we've um, sort of humour around women has evolved, like only uh, maybe less, just less than 10 years ago, there was a, a, a whole plethora of rape jokes at the Edinburgh Fringe. And just the following year, there were a ton of shows about feminism and a brilliant feminist comedian called Bridget Christie won the main prize yes. at the Fringe, Stuart yes. Lee's wife. And there were just a, a brilliant load of shows by women being powerful and strong and saying, no, hang on, those jokes last year were really not funny. OK, so that's a very positive note and looking to the future. Can I share a really positive comment we've had on Facebook from a listener called Matt, great name. See see what you two think of this to wrap up. He says, um, it's a mistake, I think, to frame this, as perhaps Jennifer Saunders is doing, as a choice between a funny world and a fair world. But of course, if that ever was the choice, I'd choose fair. But some of the best comedy of recent times, I'm thinking Fleabag, Dairy Girls, has been transgressive, very funny, and also talon sharp. So it's not a choice between funny and fair, is it? No. No, no, I wouldn't say so. And another positive, think about this. One of the funniest shows I've seen in recent times has been the franchise that is Drag Race UK. <laughs> you know, yes. Can you imagine that show being aired five years ago? 10 years ago, 20 years ago. That and and the and the drag performers, all those girls going on all the different strands of that show, USA, Australia, the UK yeah, yeah, yeah. are seasoned professional performers and they get to shine their light and and look look how well the show's doing. So we're feeling positive about the future of comedy. I oh, think the, so, yeah. yeah. I think that comedy's not dead. As long as there are people with different points of view and these kind of discussions keep happening, comedy will never die. Good discussion. I'm on tour. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, we're going to have a little chat about what you're up to now, Stephen. Oh, great. And I want to know, so obviously there's been a lot of talk about how badly theatre has been hit by the pandemic. We're talking about comedy. You're a comedian. Presumably the stand-up circuit has been decimated. Well, um, you, well, stand-up circuit, stroke theatre, very much the same sort of thing. I, I, My last proper show was, I would say, in February 2020. And then the uncertainty, uh, not just of people like myself, but all the guys uh, working behind the scenes, you know, production, uh, the, the flyering team, the posters, whatever. Everyone has has tried different ways to kind of get on top of it. You know, Zoom gigs have happened. <laughs> Good heavens. Uh, <laughs> no, why? And some outside gigs have happened with, you know, um, social distancing. But the thing that's, that, that I found the, the, the most weird thing to handle is the fact that this is a job that re- requires communication, yes. talking and rhythm and, and finding things to write about and making them funny. But if you have nowhere to try this stuff out, you know, you forget... You know, it's not like riding a bike. You just can't just get on again. I haven't done a full show for over a year. Right, okay, so here's a question for you. You said things to uh, make fun of, to make jokes about, and you were saying earlier, nothing's off limits. Obviously, we've all had a massive experience in our lives, a big bonding experience with the pandemic. Yes. And um, yes, death isn't funny, but it is something that binds us all together, as you were saying. And I know you're about to go on another tour. So tell us, can we 
are you making jokes about what's happened to us all for the last 18 months? Very good question. And I think Rosie touched on it earlier. If I went out on stage and did a whole routine about COVID, pandemic, whatever, knowing full well that people in the audience have been through exactly the same thing, may have had uh, lost somebody, may have lost income, homes, whatever, unless my take on it is really clever... Don't go there. They've heard it all before. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. not, I, I, I don't think I'm that brilliant as a comic to kind of rise above whatever ever, everyone else is feeling. However, my in is to give an example of, of my, I'll, tell, I'll say it now, that my dad coming to stay with me during the first lockdown for three weeks and then me just finding out so much more about him than I ever had before. So that's my hook. So I want to hear I go, that routine. Oh. I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy, come and see me. I, I'm, and, and, and thankfully, because things are opening up slowly, I have been able to go out on the road. And thankfully, the audiences have been so receptive because there's been a hunger for live entertainment. And that thing, that thing of laughing together with yeah. a group of strangers, I mean, that's so bonding. It's so powerful, it's isn't so it? Powerful. It's so powerful. And that's my drug of choice. <laughs> the applause and the laughter. I mean, how I get by on a day-to-day -day basis, I'll never know. Um, it's, so actually, it's actually a shame that it does become a source of tension because it is such a powerful, wonderful thing. So tell us, the show, Before and Laughter, where can we see it? What's going on? Where are you going? Oh, I'm, I'm going all over the UK. Touch wood. Hopefully we don't go through another uh, pandemic. Uh, so it's going to be... So uh, check all the usual... Um, uh, uh, can we say websites or stuff yes, like that? Oh, yes, your website. Oh, yes. <laughs> com. It's so great. Everything's up there. But I've got to say this, Matt, and I think you might like this. I'm doing... I've just signed up to do a play in July and August. Oh, fantastic. Yes. The play is called My Night with Reg. Oh, great. Oh. I love that play. I thought you would. Where are you going to be doing that? At the new Turbine Theatre. Oh, fantastic. Which is uh, just by the Battersea Power Station there. And uh, yeah, I've just... Uh, that's hot off the press. Right, fantastic. My character is Benny. <laughs> Benny, which one's Benny? Is one of the characters. The, the good-looking <laughs> one. The good-looking one. Right. And also, can I just point this out? This yes. is uh, this is obviously a a, um, a, um, a, a, a a restaging of the work, which has won previous awards when it was first uh, premiered. And the character that I'm playing isn't written in the script as a black character. Do you know what I mean? And What's he, well, I'm trying to remember. I've seen he's various the, versions the, of it. I can't remember which one he was. I can't he's remember the, the boyfriend names. of the guy called Bernie. And he's the ah. one who first reveals that he has also slept with yes. this Reg. Yeah. Yes. And uh, that's what that's what it kind of links back to what I was saying before about the sign of the times changing things. You know, uh, I would, you know, casting me in a role that's not specifically said a black character, that's forward thinking. And, and of course, I'm a fantastic actor. <laughs> the Sunday Roast with Matt Kane. Virgin Radio Pride. My brilliant panel. Stephen K. Amos and Rosie Wilby are still here and we're going to be talking now about the Pride flag. To mark Pride Month this year, the Pride flag has been given another redesign. It's been updated by Valentino Vecchietti using the circle from the intersex flag to incorporate intersex people into the wider LGBTQ community. Now, telling us about the flag and the history of the flag 
is Sasha Coward. He's a queer historian who's worked at various local, national and international museums and galleries. He also builds escape rooms from scratch. But we're sticking to the queer history today. Sasha, welcome to Sunday Roast. Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, it's really cool to be here. Thank you. So what we need to do is we need some context on the Pride flag from you, if you would be so kind. Where did it come from? Who designed it? Right back to the beginning. So the very first Pride flag or the rainbow flag that we know of uh, started out in 1978. And it was created by a man called Gilbert Baker. So Gilbert Baker was a really interesting chap living in San Francisco in America. And so he was living through the very the heat of the Stonewall incident of the kind of the LGBTQ civil rights movement in America. Now, he was part of the armed forces. And when he left the armed forces, he actually started to sew. So he started to get quite good at sewing things. I'm loving uh, that personal he... story. Armed forces <laughs> to sewing. I'm in know, already. Right? I'm hooked. I'm engaged. I love it. Oh, you wait to hear about the fact that he was also a drag queen at the same time, right? <laughs> Going by the name Busty Ross. Uh, and so as well as performing and, and being, you know, part of the military and getting into sewing, uh, he was also an activist where he met the incredibly famous Harvey Milk, mm. uh, who you may have heard of before. Uh, and in doing so, became part of the LGBT movement there in America. And he was tasked with creating basically a flag that could unite everyone together. Because if before the 1978 flag, if you look at any of the marches, everyone's got different colours. There's no single symbol that brings everyone together. So what he decided to do, because he still had a bit of the echo of the kind of hippiness of the 60s and the 70s, was use the symbol of a rainbow, partly because a rainbow is a single strand of light, right? But it's been split up into all of its different colours. So a rainbow kind of symbolizes many in one. Okay. Loads of people all coming together. I love it. So I've got a question on that front for you. I know he first designed it for the Gay Freedom Day. Um, so was it for gay or was it for, you mentioned LGBT. Was from the beginning it meant to symbolize all different sexualities and gender identities or was it gay at first and it's come to take on that meaning? It's a really complicated one because back in the 70s and even in the 80s, the word gay could mean a lot of things. You might use the word gay to cover people that today we would call trans or non-binary uh, or any number of identities or bisexual. You, you would use terms like, let's go to the gay bar, let's go to gay pride. And that word just became synonymous with a lot of stuff. At this point, many of those individual identities that we have today, intersex, asexual, demisexual, bisexual, pansexual, some of those didn't even exist in terms of the word, right? So you have people who definitely fell under those identities, but may not have had those particular words to describe themselves as. So all I can say is that pride from its very beginning in America was a movement which was fueled by all kinds of people. So particularly trans women um, of color uh, were an integral part of the Stonewall riots, very much something that Gilbert was interested in and involved in. So when he was creating that flag, even though he may have at times used the word gay, he was thinking about right. these people. 
broader community. That's interesting. But can I ask you now about how it morphed recently into the progress flag? Because if those people were um, meant to be represented or included in the first place, or at least mm. in spirit, even if not specifically by those labels at the time, why did... Um, who, how, how, where did it come from, the progress flag? Who commissioned it? What was the thinking behind that? Yeah, so the progress flag, so that's the flag which has the rainbow and it has like the chevron on the side, so the triangle, uh, which has a bit of the trans flag in there and also has a black and brown stripe. That was created by Daniel Kassar. Um, so that was created basically as a symbol of reflecting on where we are as a community and some of the things that maybe we need to work on and some of the identities that aren't fully represented or don't feel represented within the umbrella of pride. So the understanding of that design was that there are people within the LGBTQ plus community and particularly trans people and people of color who have many times come out and said, I don't feel represented by this flag. I feel that when I go out and I see, you know, pride being advertised, I don't know if it's a safe space for me. And so this was a response from Daniel, who was a designer to say, let's make sure we don't lose sight of that. And in fact, what if we create a, a flag that highlights that with the chevron, which it looks like an arrow, being a symbol of this is progress. This is something ah. we're working on, right? So it's kind of highlighting the fact of we're not there yet and we know we're not there yet. So this is a reminder. This is just the, the things we need to do. So we're going to stick it there so we don't forget. Okay, that was a brilliant summary. Stick around, don't go anywhere. I want to ask, first of all, Rosie, what do you think of the new version of the progress flag, which also includes the intersex symbol? And which flag do you think best represents you as a member of the LGBTQ plus community? Well, I... I like the idea of being inclusive. Of course I do. I think there are different factions within our community that we need to make sure we represent. And, you know, when I was very, very first coming out, I probably didn't feel represented as a lesbian because the terminology, as we've just heard, was all saying gay. And I do say gay woman sometimes, but a, a lot of the time lesbian was not really mentioned and certainly not then bisexual and other identities. And I think... I have realised latterly that I'm, you know, possibly if we're boiling it down to sexual orientation, I might be more bisexual, but that word just wasn't around when I was coming out in the 90s. But what I find really interesting is I was on a radio show um, with the lovely ladies from Diva magazine three years ago, and we did a quiz where we were wearing all those different bracelets that were around a few years ago with all the different colours for intersex, non-binary, asexual, and so on. And we were trying to recognise all the different ones. There were so many different colours for bears or you know who knows what and, and all kinds of different communities within our community and I think doing that quiz and identifying what the different colours meant really made us more aware of how many different identities there are so I think it's great to celebrate them all but I rather liked having having different colours and having the different bracelets so you could mix and match your own identity if you wanted and I also heard earlier today I listened to an interview with an artist who had been involved with the original design of the trans flag, which is actually one of my favourite It's a really nice flags. flag, isn't it? I think the flag. pink and the baby blue and the white look amazing. And part of the logic behind that design apparently had been to keep it really simple because it would be a cheaper flag to produce. And I don't know much about how flag production has <laughs> developed. But if 
you're making the flag more expensive to produce that could be actually in in this weird way of trying to make it more accessible actually making it less accessible because maybe some groups can't actually afford to produce a very complex flag with lots of different stripes and colors so that may be something just to think about but like i say not an expert in 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 flag production but i do think we want to make it accessible so is it financially becoming less accessible if if that's an issue but i do also just think that i i am not worried about people waving different flags i love it when i see people waving a trans flag and someone over there waving a non-binary flag and someone over there waving an asexual flag or an intersex flag um you know why not have a flag where they're all together but why not celebrate the individual flags as well because i think they look brilliant i love the trans flag i love the bisexual colors i love all these different colors that we have to mean different things and i love the way i could wear a bracelet and say look i'm bisexual and demisexual or you could wear different colors on different days because our identities are fluid as well right okay i absolutely love that thought but just to play devil's advocate isn't and i'm going to come to you Stephen. isn't the point of a flag that I mean flags often represent a whole country isn't it that it has to be one instantly recognisable symbol that everybody gets and everybody gets what it means and if so what does the pride flag in whichever version you prefer what does it mean to you I, I think it's this is a very good debate and a very interest, interesting to hear what Sasha has to say because when I whenever I see the pride flag that lets me know it's a safe space mm. because uh, does, and I always thought that, you know, that anyone who is um, represented by the LGBTQ, whatever, Z, X, whatever, you feel represented, you feel like it's a safe space. You can go into a shop that's got a pride flag, go to a cafe, a restaurant, etc., etc. The thing is, you can't please everybody all of the time. And that's the thing. And And if people have said... Um, we don't feel represented by this flag. It doesn't speak. Yes, by all means, have a, a trans flag. And then people can discuss this, uh, raise more awareness, visibility, have a, a bisexual flag, have um, uh, black uh, a pride flag, whatever you want. But I personally think that the, the whole rainbow, the ethos of that rainbow and those colours is so much more powerful and, and says a lot to to people who aren't who aren't maybe not even aware of, of what the pride movement is actually all about. And and I'm also more concerned of the fact that big corporations now hijack that image. Yeah. Corporations who've got no uh, good track record of, of their own uh, involvement or assistance within the community, hijacking their, the flag and, and using it as a symbol to show how progressive they are when they're not doing anything at all. I think that's more important. Oh, you've opened up a whole can of worms there. Oh, that's a can of worms. <laughs> but while you were saying that, I noticed Sasha nodding along. Now, Sasha, I want to read to you a few comments from our listeners because we heard your history earlier. I'd now like to hear your opinion. So listen to what some of our um, listeners have said. Um, Rachel Fox said to me on Twitter, yes, we need our flag to be inclusive. There's too much racism, transphobia and ignorance within our own community concerning identities, sexualities, genders and intersectional challenges. Um, Mitzi says, I like the progress flag because it solves the problem of being confused with a rainbow and highlights trans and racial issues within the community, which is important. But then we've got Mike who says it's a complete mess now and gone the same way as the labels and the initials, which we all know, mm. as Stephen just did, we've all got conf 
confused and you know there's so many initials now the original rainbow flag wasn't made up of striped colors that each represented a label or a specific community or initial it was a symbol of total inclusivity sasha i'm going to give you one more chris t on twitter says the simplicity of the design and message is just being diluted because now if your particular queerness isn't specifically included you feel excluded where's my gray band i'm old (laughs) (laughs) and that's not for me that was for my listener chris t although i also am old what do you think sasha so to, to go back to the origins of the flag so the original flag created by gilbert baker that i hear a lot of people saying oh that was beautiful the simplicity of the design why are we messing it up well the original flag had eight stripes And each stripe had a different meaning, which was sex, life, healing, sunlight, nature, magic, harmony, Mm. spirit. Does anyone remember what those things were? I had to look it up on Wikipedia to make sure that I got those correct. The symbolism and meaning of that flag has changed. Two of the colors, hot pink and turquoise, were taken off the flag entirely. So it became a six-striped flag. And I think actually, sorry to interrupt, but I think actually from what I've read, that was because of financial reasons. Mm. They were too expensive to print or to dye. So there's these quite um, pragmatic ideas that are coming into what we're all reading as this, you know, essential, um, unique symbolism, actually, um, it's a lot more complicated. Sorry, I interrupted. Carry on. No, yeah, the flag has a purpose and it needs to be disseminated, right? It needs to be easy to share and create. That was part of the design was to make it something that you could recognize and create. But it is worth saying that it has changed. The history of the flag has seen it morph and shift. And I also think that anything new for it takes a while you remember when the gherkin went up in london and everyone was like that is hideous and some people still but a lot of us have warmed to it and there is a sense that because something as sacred as the rainbow flag the pride flag and we now have the progress flag a lot some people have responded by saying it looks messy i don't like it now here's the honest truth if you separate the meaning i think rainbows are tacky like by themselves, <laughs> you know confession but what an awful thing to say sasha that's the stuff of children's dreams what's at the end of a rainbow a pot of gold come on i love rainbows sasha i love rainbows i'm gonna be cancelled aren't i i know you it's like saying santa claus doesn't exist exactly who do you think you are symbolism of rainbows but i i wouldn't want to wear rainbow colors because i think they clash you know if i'm just taking it as pure aesthetic but that's not what it is. It's not just a, a pretty shape with colors. It's meaning. It tells a story, right? And so the progress flag for me is just telling a story. And that story is, here's where we are. Here's where we want to go. Here's what we're trying to address. Now, just because we have the progress flag doesn't mean everyone has been sent a memo saying, everybody, by the way, burn all your old <laughs> Six striped rainbow flags, they are obsolete. And if you hang them up, you know, that's it. You're, you're, that's the end of it. No, both flags exist. And now there is this, this new uh, iteration, uh, which has the, you know, the intersex label. There are versions which have symbols for sex workers. They're, they aren't cancelling each other out. They're, they're just giving options. You know, just as you were saying, it's great to have these different options so we can tell these different stories about ourselves. 
That's what I think. So I'm going to bring in some more listener comments. Michael on Facebook says, if the new design makes people feel part of the community and loved, then I am all for it. Adrian says, a failure of concept and design in one go. It may make a few activists happy, but it will ultimately diminish the value of the flag. Richard says, should have stopped with the original Pride flag. The EU didn't add stars when it added member states. This can be inclusive without altering. And finally, Stephen, I want to come in here. What you, I want to come to you to hear what you've got to say about this. Toby says, top tip. When you've got a brand with solid recognition, stick with it. <laughs> I, I've got to say, I, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Toby because I get the fact that you know, as a young black kid growing up and finding my own identity, as I said earlier, if I saw the pride flag, I would go into that establishment. I'd go into that pub. That doesn't mean that um, I would feel in any way inclusive, uh, included in that. If they altered the uh, the uh, rainbow flag and included a black stripe uh, as a gesture mm -hmm. to show that we are inclusive, uh, uh, that does not mean that suddenly racism has disappeared within our community. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. it exists. Yeah, yeah. Let's not try and pretend that there isn't, you know, isms within our own community. And by putting a symbol on a flag does not negate that. Except, you know, not to argue against what you're saying. But I, you will. I, well, <laughs> can, I just put, can I just put one thing to you? So, you know, on one hand, yes, every flag doesn't have to explicitly include everyone it represents. But then if there's the hint of exclusion, you hear things like there ain't no black in the Union Jack. Well, tough. That that's a great that's a great little rhyme. And who sings those kind of rhymes? I I hasten mm. to go out there and say, thick people, yeah, stupid people, yeah. well, Let racist them, people. Well, well, yes, whatever. And we can't. They will ex exist. You know, and so if, you, you, if you put right. black in the Union Jack, there'll be another rhyme after that. You can't please everyone all of the time. You know that the pride symbol, as I said, uh, the pride flag has stood as a symbol for many years as something. If you want to create your own, there's the whole there's a reason why there's a UK black pride. You know, yes. oh, there is absolutely. a reason for that. No, I know. You know, and it's not because the pride as it is. Uh, it just, people don't feel included. I accept that. Putting the symbol on the flag will not change that. Okay, interesting. So, Rosie, have a listen to this. Mm. Um, ben Cohen of Pink News oh, I like ben. message to say, love Ben too. Oh, I like him as well. <laughs> Hello, Ben. Hi, Ben. <laughs> Sasha, do you also like him? <laughs> He's raising his thumbs. Rosie, right. So, Ben Cohen of Pink News says, as the NHS has co-opted the rainbow flag, mm. it's important to have a symbol that reflects the whole LGBT plus community. And this does it. This being the redesign. The redesign, yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, well, as Stephen said, tons of corporate brands have co-opted the, the rainbow flag. So, I I kind of like the idea that we're hearing that all of these different flags can coexist we can still celebrate our old pride flag mm -hmm. the traditional thick striped rainbow flag with its fairly simple design and we can also celebrate the the new flag because of course we want to progress we want to include everybody within our community i 
quite like the fact that we can now use queer as an all-encompassing label and we've reclaimed that word and rather than necessarily always having to say LGBTQIA plus and, and keep, such on, a mouthful, isn't keep it? on adding <laughs> letters, I think we do need to include all of those communities. That's really, really important. But, you know, perhaps in the same way that we've rebranded the word queer, perhaps we could rebrand the rainbow flag to to do that and reclaim it away from you know i mean i don't really begrudge the nhs who have have been doing a wonderful job um but i i still think that to many people we know what the what the rainbow flag means but actually um stephen made a point earlier about uh, the rainbow flag um symbolizing a safe space you will be safe here for our community and actually well um, the nhs (laughs) you know well when you i mean to be honest you see you do see the this nhs rainbow flag flying everywhere um, and it does slightly dilute the power of that message. Sasha is nodding at me. What do you think about the whole thing with the NHS? Pin- well, not I was going to say pinching our rainbow, <laughs> but you think the rainbow's tacky? Maybe you're happy for them to have it. <laughs> but I, I, th- I think it's it's a really complicated one because obviously there's no way of going through this discussion without some people thinking we sound like the meanies, like the bad guys. You can't have our rainbow. We own it. <laughs> fact is like the thing is of course the rainbow is a symbol anyone can have the rainbow was a symbol long before the lgbtq plus community came together and you know in san francisco the rainbows meant many things to different people the thing that i get a bit upset about is when i see people kind of getting annoyed um at queer people at lgbtq plus people using the rainbow and saying actually that's for the nhs and you're like oi that's just the complexity here that this this is a symbol that we can share but sharing requires that we understand what it means for both groups of people and actually it's interesting that you talked about people getting annoyed when Stephen was saying earlier that um you don't think the symbolism of a black line on a flag means black people are any more included you weren't actually getting annoyed because to go back to a a conversation we had earlier we were talking about intent and whoever is doing these redesigns it's all coming from a positive place oh, yeah. and the will is um you know it's it's goodwill isn't it you're nodding at me Steve. yes it is goodwill but you know i think if we you know it, it may be a, a representation of how we are today but can you imagine 10 15 years time when all sorts of things have been discovered about our our, our who we are how we identify what will the flag look like then? Mm. Well, no I mean, idea. yeah. So is there an argument for um, keeping it, um, you know, at the original? Well, I was going to say keeping the original design, but we've already discovered <laughs> that the original design was eight yeah. colours. Yeah, which original are we talking about? And and it, it can feel a little bit, you know, the, the, and some people will disagree, but kind of like we're drawing a fence around it and saying, okay, this is how it stays. And the fence just so happens to be inclusive of white uh, gay cisgender men like myself and we said oh but any change beyond that is tacky and gross so we'll, we'll just keep it here and you'll be fine with it don't worry which can be a bit patronizing when people are saying no we're part of this community and we're we want to push it forward so I, I think it's where do you say what is the original where do you stop who gets to decide yeah 
How, how about a flag just of my face? <laughs> I, I, I suggest this. You know, I've got a big smile, lovely white Hollywood teeth. How about that? Oh, All right, well, on that lighter beautiful, note, beautiful. on that lighter note, let me tell you a couple of um, quite fun listener comments. We've had Tom saying, I absolutely hate the colour scheme. It's so clashy. Mark says, <laughs> next they will add a toaster. And <laughs> what? Tracy says... <laughs> Um, I know, I don't, I don't quite know the point of that. Is he actually saying intersex is irrelevant? I don't know. But Tracy says, I'm going to need a bigger set of felt-tip pens. Yes, exactly. I, I also just want to say on the point of the NHS thing, I don't mind that because it just means everywhere looks really gay. <laughs> <laughs> but Sasha thinks it's tacky. Has used that word oh, twice no. now. Sasha. I think the only issue is where is where it causes confusion. And I, if it's okay to share very briefly a personal story, my my mother was very ill at the beginning of last year and uh, almost died. And when I went in there with my husband to the hospital, and I saw the nurse had a rainbow. Uh, you know, little um, thing lanyard around their neck. I knew that I could hold my husband's hand and be completely safe there. And that was before COVID. Now, if I see the rainbow symbol, I, I don't begrudge the use of it. I, I don't want this to be taken out of context, but I, I can't know for sure. I know, I know. That and that's, that's the only issue is it's got a little bit muddy uh, and and most of the time, that is not a problem at all. It's great. But some of the time, it can cause a bit of conflict. And flags are not meant to be muddy, are they? Mm. Um, no. I'm going to give you a little personal story. I remember right at the beginning of the pandemic, Matt Hancock coming on the news with um, an NHS rainbow little pin. And I thought, oh, it's not even Pride Month. It's not even LGBT <laughs> History Month. How nice that he's wearing that. I didn't realise. Right. I mean, know, the, the amount of times I've gone into St George's Hospital expecting a boogie and a DJ. <laughs> It's just embarrassing with my hot pants. <laughs> Safe space. Stop fucking poking fun at those guys who wear hot pants. <laughs> you offended. You're going to playing into my offence. <laughs> right. Can I just actually in, just interject oh. in the laughter? We need to wrap up and I want to try and find some kind of summary for this discussion that we're all broadly happy with. So would it be okay to say... Um, as the original pride flag was a symbol of inclusivity and diversity, broadly speaking, there isn't any specific need for any of the updates, but they're all well-intentioned. So we don't want to criticise every attempt at in inclusivity is welcome. And picking up on something Rosie said, everyone should choose the version of the pride flag they feel most comfortable with. How do we feel about that? Oh, yeah. I've got Stephen and Rosie uh, nodding. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm happy with that. I, I think I would say that the pride, all the pride flags mean different things to different people. So it's going to be really difficult for us to come to a single conclusion. But I would agree entirely that having variety is a good thing. That's got to be a good thing. And can I ask you, Sasha, being a historian, will you endorse my face? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know, but I've already made a note in my notebook. Uh, I'm going to be designing one and acquiring it into the British Museum. Yes, please. Can you imagine? Hey, I tell you what, Sasha, quite seriously. Do you think um, the pride flag, the progress flag, this new vote, do you think it's going to continue evolving in the future? Yes. Yes. Yeah, because everything changes. And, and one of the great things about us is we're not a country, right? We're not the UK. <laughs> we're a group of people. 
yes. right? And we change <laughs> and the words we use change and change isn't a bad thing. So in 20 years, I have no idea what the flag will look like. And that's fine. As long okay. as people can unite behind it, that doesn't matter. Except, actually, and this brings us on to a topic we're going to be discussing later, people uniting behind it. When we are a community that is so diverse, if we've not got a government to make that decision on our behalf, and some of us can get annoyed at that government, um, will there ever be unity behind, behind one pride flag design? Probably not. Yeah. Yep, probably not. Okay. Uh, because we're, we're just people. We, we, we don't, just because we're uh, really awesome and amazing and queer doesn't mean that we're also full of different opinions and perspectives. Yeah, I think it's going to be difficult, which is why variety, having all these different flags means there's always somewhere you can go. I love it. Okay, you're listening to Sunday Rose, and I'm now going to be chatting to Rosie Wilby. Can you tell us, we were talking earlier to Stephen about performing again Mm. as a stand-up. We obviously started today's show by talking all about comedy. Are you going to be performing again soon? Definitely. I have started performing. One of the main things I do is my podcast, The Breakup Monologues. And I just recently recorded a live episode at Wimbledon Book Festival with Shappy Corsandi. Um, Love her. Just about to release that episode. And I'm going to be recording more live episodes of that. I've got one coming up at Underbelly Festival in London in August as well and various festivals around about over the summer. So that's one of the main things that I'm doing. I'm obviously doing book festivals like yourself, promoting our books that came out on the same, same day. day we're book twins queer publication twins and can i just say without wanting to get too gushy i've read your book it's brilliant Aww, can you tell our you. listeners um what to expect if they're going to buy the book and have a read. Yes. Well, my book, The Breakup Monologues, is loosely based around my podcast. So it does contain lots of other people's breakup stories. But it really pulls those all together with my own story of trying at last to stay in a relationship after my rocky and roller coaster relationship past and lots of breakups. And what I've learned from all those breakups about how to finally commit. And there's also a lot about the science of heartbreak, the science of attraction. I, love, I have a- to say, some of that. I mean, obviously, your personal experiences and the fun stuff is brilliant. But yeah. some of that I found fascinating. Oh, good. The Thank science you. and the stats and things I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, and all the surveys and studies that have been done. But also my own kind of studies and putting myself into science experiments. Um, one of the chapters I enjoyed writing the most is where I go and participate in a sex lab. And I'm sort of wired up to the machines whilst viewing erotica and having my <laughs> erotic arousal <laughs> measured. Where's this? <laughs> I knew he was going to pipe up. I was yes. just going to say, I wish our listeners could see Stephen K. Amos's face. Well, I, I think well, during COVID, they had to put a pause on the experiment. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it was at the University of Essex in, in the sex lab. So that was really interesting to sort of learn more about my own sexual orientation and how, how kind of fluid sexual orientation is and how it's actually quite hard to put ourselves in these neat little boxes and how I label myself a lesbian politically and socially and culturally but actually probably my pure sexuality is more bisexual or pansexual. I do fancy quite a broad range of people of differing genders. Um, but of course now just my girlfriend, <laughs> if she's listening, <laughs> my fiancé. <laughs> oh, no, you've got to tell our listeners about that. So you write a book about breakups yeah. and you have a happy ending. You're getting I married. Know, that's right. The happy ending to all of this is that I, I think, did learn to make a better partner choice. I'd kind of made some bad choices 
choices in the past or also just been terrible in relationships myself and bad at communicating my own boundaries and needs and desires. And I, I guess I've just evolved through actually learning about the science and psychology of relationships. And I now have a healthy relationship. But I also wanted to reflect how annoying relationships can be even when you are in a good one and how difficult and challenging they are on a day-to-day basis and there's a chapter called hormonal hell where we're both on this weird little boat trip on this tiny little boat sort of marooned together with the dog and we're both sort of deep into perimenopause and um, and and hormonal mood swings and so you know it's not all a dream um you still have to compete with all these challenging needs and conflicts and you have to compromise so much but uh, you know I think it's important to to know that the fairy tale isn't always (laughs) you know hearts and balloons and flowers but once you meet somebody um you know yeah and you think yes I want to commit to this person it's possible you know but you know it's hard work too and so yeah I am engaged and we're getting married next year I'll tell you what I've got a question on last week's show we discussed whether marriage has to be about conformity and assimilation heteronormativity or whether it can be a defiantly queer political act and I'm pretty sure am I right in thinking your feelings have changed that's right I wrote an article recently about this and how I've had a real journey with marriage from being an activist on a same-sex wedding demo back as a student in the 1990s on Valentine's Day outside York Minster to thinking, oh no, why would we want marriage when it came in? Because why would we want to sort of be part of this patriarchal institution? You know, as good lesbian feminists, why why do we even want this? Whereas now I think you're right. I think we can kind of reclaim it and make it a queer statement by changing what marriage actually looks like. And what is your wedding going to look like? Are you going full, like no hold, no holding back? Or are you being demure and kind of quiet and... It, it will be relatively small. We're actually having our wedding party in our back garden. So it's, it's going to be nice and fun and quite cosy and intimate. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. The Sunday Roast with Matt Cain. Virgin Radio Pride. And we're going to be talking now about conflict and division in our community, something that's actually come up early in our previous discussions today, and how to end it. So anyone looking on social media can see there's often tension between the various sections of our community. I'm talking about within it now. And often this erupts into full-on conflict. The history of marginalised groups in general, which is really interesting to me, is often marred by infighting. Different groups often turn inwards and turn on each other. Well, that certainly is what happened with the Gay Liberation Front, for example, in the early 1970s. But what's the best way now, in 2021, to avoid this kind of thing happening what's the best way to bring us all together we are joined we're very excited to be joined by ali annie wallace who is a bafta nominated actress best known for her role as sally st Clair in channel 4's hollyoaks she's the first trans person to portray a regular trans character in a british soap opera she's also a patron of mermaids the charity supporting transgender kids and their families welcome annie Nice to be here. (laughs) So, first question, going to go straight down to it. Have you always felt welcome as a trans woman in the wider LGBTQ plus community? No, I haven't. 
Now, let me qualify that. So, um, when when I transitioned, which was the late 80s, early 90s, um, things were very, very different than they are today for trans people. Um, and what you did, if you could, if you could get away with it, is that you hid. <laughs> you you went stealth as the words used to be and um if you could blend in then the more the better because it made your life much 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 easier and i'll be honest with you at that particular time late 80s 2000 uh, sorry uh, 90s even i never felt really welcomed by the lgbt community um Is because the after... t was very much so this is after transitioning sorry. this isn't when you were trying to oh, yeah, pretend is... to no, no, no. Um, I, I, I had no dealing with any part of the LGBT community until I transitioned. Uh, but I did feel slightly left out. I felt that we were kind of tagged on at the end. And when I went to things and places, I never really felt welcome. But that changed. I mean, in the, as the 90s went on, and as everything happens in humanity, people become more aware and people become more uh, less afraid. That's half, that's half the problem of all these you know divisions within our community it's a lot of it's fear fear of losing something fear of loss and um i found that i was being welcomed more and more and trans people were more and more understood to the point that when when i joined hollyoaks in 2015 i thought everything was going absolutely swimmingly <laughs> i thought good heavens where we've got legal rights um we're invited to the party we've got our own prides and everything now and then the backlash started. <laughs> well, it's funny, isn't it? You, I've, I can remember that year you're talking about when it felt there was a massive change and everything was really moving. But what you often yeah. find, I think we were talking about this on last week's show, when there is, um, when there are steps forward and there's increased visibility, you often then get a backlash against that. You know, mm. you mentioned hiding by stealth. Actually, when people are hiding, there's nothing for mainstream society or even bigots within our community to get annoyed against annoyed with do you know what i mean oh absolutely right and and whilst we were uh quite we as a community i suppose the trans community there is such a thing um while we weren't visible we weren't seen as any form of threat and to be honest even once the laws were being passed such as the gender recognition act of 2004 and then the consolidation of the Equality Act altogether to the Equality Act of 2010, there was very little kind of backlash to that. It just seemed to all, everything was taking its natural order and its place. Longer than we hoped for, of course, but it seemed to be going swimmingly. But uh, it seems to coincide with starting to see trans people more um, on radio, television and theatre. In other words, in the public view, rather than being a concept actually seeing yes, people yes. there and i have to you know pull my hand up and go yeah obviously i contributed to that but this is what was happening we had rebecca root in boy meets girl beth black in cucumber uh ash palmisiano in in emmerdale and i think it that and the proposals to reform the gender recognition act it was a perfect storm for what i would call the the, the gender critical anti-trans cult to mobilize and attack us i listen i i don't believe that they're representative of the lgbt plus community yeah. at all listen i go to prides I, I was london pride a couple of years ago and all i saw was trans flags and, and love for the trans community there so i i don't think that this is a community issue i think it's a minority issue 
Okay, right. So I do want to talk about those eruptions that have happened at Prides. Um, and I do want to get onto that. But I want to start by just actually looking at the four of us now. We are very much representative of how diverse our community is. We've got in the studio a black gay man from London, a white gay man mm. from Bolton. That's me, in case anybody didn't know where I was from. Um, a white lesbian from the north, or possibly bisexual, as we were discussing earlier, from the north of England. Yep. And we've got a white trans woman from Scotland. So yeah. if we are all so different, what is it that binds us together? What is it? You know, we were talking about the best flag to represent us. What is us? What you know, gender, se- gender identity, sexuality—they're different. We are all so yeah. different. We talked about race, the the black lines on the flag. What is it that binds us together, Stephen? I, I think it's it's mainly due to the fact that we're all outsiders. Yeah. You've experienced yes. being an outsider. Yeah. You've experienced being the butt of people's jokes. You know, it's very interesting to hear Annie talking there about being able to hide as a black gay man. Can't. I can't hide anywhere, you know. So the notion yeah. of trying to hide doesn't doesn't really apply to me, and that's why I really struggle. To be honest, uh, and and thankfully we're talking uh, with people who are, are level-headed, and you can have an adult conversation with. I struggle with the notion of community as as a whitewash mm. blanket term because within this community there are racists, there are bigots, mm. there are transphobic people, there are anti-women, there is ageism, you know, and that's just a reflection of the wider society. So for us to pretend or or think because we have a shared experience of being outsiders that on this ground level everything's hunky-dory it's never gonna happen um absolutely but interestingly so rosie you were saying earlier that you have done some um comedy based around the differences between gay men and lesbians (laughs) and um so you're playing on our differences yeah um you know, we I are very un- different in some ways, yeah. but in other ways, we're not. We're not. In other ways, we're not. We're totally allies, and we are. I think if you think back to, you know, what was going on in the 1980s and what we see represented in the film Pride, I think the idea of uniting against a common enemy is really, really yeah. important. Where you had these unlikely allies, and you know, the lesbian and gay community and the minors, and uniting because they were both being discriminated against at that time. They were outsiders because of what was <laughs> happening in the world. So I think we need to constantly check in with one another and remind ourselves that we have far more that unites us than we have differences between us. But of, of course, there are nuanced differences between all of our experiences and our priorities and our needs and what we are campaigning for. But I think there is way, way more that unites us as human beings who have experienced, as Stephen says, that outsiderdom. Yes. Um, on that note, can I ask Annie? So um, obviously there have been serious issues with a trans excluding group mm. um, that, you know, burst, re- that um, exploded recently. But are there any circumstances, do you think, when it's OK for the different subcommunities within our wider um, family to um, do things separately. There are obviously some issues that affect trans women and don't affect trans men, and some issues that affect lesbians and don't affect gay men. Do you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. 
Oh, definitely. I mean, we are we are different letters. We're not the same letter. And, you know, there are many letters. It's, it's LGBT plus. There's several letters after that as well. Mm-hmm. And everyone is entitled to define themselves in the way that they see fit. But I think, in my view, um, as as was said, it's we have common enemies and we know who they are and they're trying to persecute all of us. They're the same people again and again and again who come out to persecute, to mock, to vilify, to to attack. Now, when we when it happens within the community, it's it's a little bit odd because although we are separate and we have separate interests, which we are perfectly entitled to go off and look after, I don't believe that any interest conflicts with any other. I genuinely don't. Yeah. And I'm speaking as I will call myself a member of the community in the, in the widest possible sense. I will stand up for my fellow LGBT plus people on practically every issue, except of course, the people who want to, to kind of take rights away from trans people, of which I say they're a very small minority. You, you, you have to look at it in the wider context and and whether or not this is a, a movement or whether it's just a it's, it's a minority reaction and um there were two parade invasions that happened in 2018 and 2019 i think now they were yes. um the, the one in london that happened and then subsequently the one in manchester as well uh, as if as if manchester pride hadn't learned anything at all and the same thing happened and so we had that, but then the backlash to that happening was absolutely huge. We had um, we had an entire group of um, allies from the LGBT community leading the parade um, subsequently and saying, "No, we are LGB with the T, and we will not we will not sell out our community cousins uh, for the sake of a of a perceived." issue that we regard to be invalid and that i would say the same when i when i was um when i wasn't even i hadn't even come out um i i as i say i transitioned in the 80s but i hadn't come out open as openly trans but i was i was campaigning with angela mason and stonewall to repeal section 28 back in in early mm-hmm. 2000s so and that wasn't something that directly affected trans people obviously it affected a proportion of us but I was there standing up with my LGB cousins and going, this is a common fight and it's about liberalism and it's about freedom. And that's much more important, I think. I think one of the saddest things for me about those two eruptions at the Prides in London and Manchester in 2018 and 2019 was that Pride events are meant to be an (laughs) opportunity for all the different elements of our community to come together and celebrate together. And Rosie, you're nodding in agreement. Oh, it was the most excruciating irony that that would happen yeah. on that day. It was it was absolutely yeah. dreadful. Um, but I, I absolutely agree with what's being said, that we can all support one another if you look back to the AIDS and HIV crisis and how involved lesbians were with that, even though it really didn't mm-hmm. affect us. I mean, <laughs> you know, dental jams were fun, weren't they? But <laughs> probably not that necessary. <laughs> Um, but you know I think we absolutely must support one another and what I find most distressing is how a a bunch of I I believe minority voices seem to think that being a feminist means that you cannot support trans people which I absolutely am of the school of thought alongside people like Judith Butler who would say that feminism and trans rights absolutely can go hand in hand it's all about a progressive discussion about gender isn't it um, I'll tell you what, yeah. um, this is 
quite an obvious thing to bring in, but to what extent do you guys think that um, the online sphere in gender, uh, the online sphere in general, not gender, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and social media specifically, have whipped up um, and encouraged division? What do you think, Stephen? Well, well, it's always easy to hide behind uh, a keyboard and type and 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 and, and instigate hate and and division anonymously because you know we live in we live in an era where you know word can travel quickly and everything's having an opinion everything's everything's got the right to an opinion and you know um i had to look i looked up the word the definition of the word opinion in the oxford english dictionary and it's got two definitions right <laughs> uh, yeah two different ones um a statement of fact or understanding and the definition two a statement not based on fact or understanding. So they're which actually, one is? Yeah, they're quite different. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, so, so we're, you know, and if, I, I think um, if we are able to, I ignore a, a lot of stuff online because I don't want to get involved in online debates with uh, uh, with with strangers, let alone friends. So um, it's just the thing of I think Annie said it right, and so uh, did Rosie. It's that thing of being supportive of the community by lending your voice and doing what you can. And the negativity negativity is always going to come. Okay, I've got a question. Both Rosie and Annie mentioned the need to come together in the face of a common enemy. And if we're talking about our differences, do you think that as adversity and persecution hopefully fades, um, there'll be less to bind us together? Annie, what do you think? Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I think the LGBT community was was forged within the fires of of um, of the, the struggle, not only for, for legal rights, but for acceptance and for, you know, it, 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 it's a mutual fight to, to get our, our own spaces to be heard, to have um, uh, to have non-binary people uh, recognised now. And, and that was opposed for a huge amount of time. Um, bisexual people still find themselves erased on a regular basis um, by by members of, of our own community. It's it's a, and that's that's not spoken about very much, but it is a horrible thing that they are yes, erased in absolutely. that way. And so I, for me personally, speak personally, I I can't see a day when I will not stand beside my LGB brothers, sisters, and significant others, and basically say, you know, we have come on a journey together, and we deserve to go on this journey in the future, because we will get these little backlashes. Mm. This is a little backlash that's happening amongst some people. I saw a photo on the internet today. Um, There's a controversial thing going on in Scotland at the moment where somebody has been arrested and charged for the... um, the, the tweeting that they've been doing, which have, has been deemed to be uh, grossly offensive. And it's all thrown up in Scotland. And so some people gathered um, in Edinburgh um, today or yesterday, I think it was today. And what they did was to protest about this, they got dressed up in handmade tail, uh, red uniforms with white hoods and with banners with suffragette colors on them to protest about the right of someone to abuse trans people. And it's like, have you not grasped what you're doing? <laughs> and, and Margaret Atwood, who wrote The Handmaid's Tale, is a is a verdant and a trans supporter. So it's like, it's like you, you've really not got back. And you know how many there was of them? Eight. Nine, <laughs> actually. Nine. <laughs> 
so yeah, yeah. they looked fantastic red and white beautiful red and white but that was them and you look at what happened in liverpool so recently there have been some homophobic attacks in liverpool yes. which have shocked horrendous, us to the core. horrendous really bad ones and um they've not been handled well of course as happens unfortunately with homophobic crime and a massive crowd came out the other day to protest it's massive and it was lgbt plus qi the lot again that was a community as a whole coming out. It wasn't gay men coming out to support um, somebody who, a gay man that was beaten up. It was the community that came out. And that was hundreds and hundreds of people. You match that up, hundreds of people to eight people in a, in fancy dress. It, that's what we're dealing I know, with. I know. But, the, but those small amount of people create a lot of noise on mm. social media. And unfortunately, that does carry the weight of publicity. And actually, just you talking about it is getting me all fired up. It kind of it gets the emotions, does get the emotions so going, though, doesn't it? I know. I was interested this week, and I started the show right at the top by talking about the American footballer, Carl Nassib, who came out as gay. It was greeted with jubilation and celebration the first day, and then the second day, one or two people started to say, and I have no idea whether this is true, I should say, um, oh, is he a Republican? I've been studying his um, social media, and he might be a Republican. Now, it's irrelevant whether or not he is, but the point I want to make is, if we're talking about a community there will always be people within that community you disagree with you can't agree with every single oh, thing yeah. so um you know what does community mean Stephen's uncomfortable with the word is it like the being in a family and you've got an uncle who votes for a particular party a political party and voted a particular way in the Brexit referendum, <laughs> and we all have to avoid the subject because he's our oh, uncle. Geez. And what do you think, Stephen? Well, well, yes, I think I think I think community means what what Annie said so eloquently. It's about standing up with people and uh, not just responding to uh, um, matters that affect you. Uh, it's about standing side to side, shoulder to shoulder with outsiders. But then also acknowledging that within the community there are, there are there are bigots, there are different points of view, and if you're aware of that, you know, just just move on. But it is difficult yeah. though, actually, because you know we were talking about the eruptions of transphobia at prides in 2018, 2019. So if it's somebody who's a blatant transphobe, obviously it's quite a cut and dried issue. What if you've got somebody in America, say, who votes for a political party that has anti-trans policies and they're a member of our community? These, some of these things are quite difficult to negotiate, don't you think, Rosa? Yeah, well, what's really interesting is one of the facts I researched for my book was how the divorce statistics had gone up um, after the 26, 2016 US election and also after a certain referendum in this country, how many couples had broken up over those two very divisive yeah. uh, votes in, in America and in the UK and how those votes particularly seemed to say something quite particular about people's values and I think people were finding they were in a partnership with somebody that actually had some very very different views to them that they'd never really discussed that they never really realized so it can be quite polarizing when I think we often try to make questions too binary don't we um, you know with those particular mm. polls of course and when we you know, try and make it all about are you in favour of this or that? Um, whereas so much of 
these questions about our identities are incredibly complex and nuanced and we we try to make things if you like too black and white yeah. um and and it's it is gray human beings are so complex Absolutely. and complicated we all have a, a myriad of complex yeah. Web, web of, of different and, thoughts I mean, look, and ideas. Just looking back, even at mm. the time, I'm old enough to remember uh, Section 28, there are members of our community who voted for a government yeah. who had yes. that as a policy. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of I think, know. what? I know. How does that, how do you compute that? How does that, but, but as Rosie said, you know, the nuances and the, the, the kind of way of thinking of, 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 of people... It's so wide. So I'll tell you what's difficult for me personally. I have had in my family one member in particular who had, um, who was in the family by marriage, isn't anymore, but who had political opinions I massively disagreed <laughs> with. And on one hand in a family, when there's children involved in relationships, you've got to be diplomatic. Um, but then on the other hand, if there's a massive blow up, um, which there was on more than one occasion, mm. you're still going to be related at the end of it. And there's still something binding you together. So with our, I know Stephen's uneasy with the word community, I understand why, <laughs> with our community stroke, family stroke group, what do we do, Annie? How do you feel if um, somebody tells you they're pro-trans, but then they're voting for a party that is persecuting your people? Um. It's like you see, everything's gone black and white, and and I I blame social media absolutely at the root cause of this because social media is some words typed on a keyboard or a phone quickly without much thought. It's not a nuanced discussion where people can go, well, I believe this, but and and it's either one side or the other. And what's happened with that is we've seen the people who are kind of on sides move further and further away because they're defending their position to the hilt yes. because they don't want yes. to lose the argument and they don't want to lose face. And we all know that that's a huge thing in absolutely every human being. Nobody likes to lose face. And so they double down, they dig deeper. How on earth could Donald Trump be voted the president of the United States of America 25 years ago? That could never have happened. But we have this strange world where everything is like massively polarized. And now this is where we've gone with the whole trans issue. Things are becoming polarized, but we mustn't lose sight of it. I, I, and we mustn't I, lose sight of the minority value of this. Sorry, Annie, I'll just have to interrupt there. I, 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 yes, the, only Steve, thing, sorry. the only thing I will maybe uh, disagree with, I, I don't necessarily blame okay. social media. I think social media it has been a great tool in terms of people's capacity to learn and gather information. But at the end of the day, oh, there, are people, there are people who type those things. Those are the people we're talking about who mm. put that stuff out there. At, on a personal level, how many of you in this in, in this uh, uh, meeting, this, this, this particular show, have had an older relative in your family who is racist? Me. Yeah? yeah, yeah. And, Not older, younger. Or, or even, oh, definitely. Or, and well, and, yeah, have, you, and have you challenged them? Yes. Because I've got people, friends Every of mine. Time friends of mine who say oh it's auntie so-and-so oh it's uncle so-and-so he's old now it's not worth it oh i know no but i, I won't put I up know. with that stephen i won't put up with that but, it's but, like but, but, i'm what's... sorry there are certain things that are there are values that you have to hold true but and, i think you know, we, um, we are anti-racism is a big thing 
No, I yeah. com- I completely agree with you, Annie. Um, um, Rosie wants to bring something in. No, I just think, harking back to the conversation we were having earlier about comedy and how things have evolved, I think we really are evolving. And I look at my fiancé's family and how wonderfully accepting they have all been about our, our wedding and how, you know, her sort of older generation of relatives really wouldn't have thought they were very supportive of gay people at all before their daughter came out and now met somebody mm. and, and is getting married. And their views have really changed because they suddenly, it's not just that gay person over there. It's like, oh, it's it's Suze. It's our, it's our well, daughter. It's our niece. Because it, it's a oh, real person. Yeah. It's a real person. Yes. They suddenly um, get yes. it. Also, can I just say, I don't think age is any excuse. My nana is 99 <laughs> and absolutely not racist. This Yay. person, this Go person, back, this person I'm talking about in my family, it was interesting to go back to the point you brought up. Um, she came out with very racist comments and then other members of the family would say to me, I know she's a, she's an absolute nightmare, but please, can we just keep the peace? Mm. It would upset mm. such a body. And um, when we're talking about families, communities, those kinds of things are difficult. And I actually think... Um, To go back, somebody just said about individuals. I think the saddest thing about the eruptions at the Prides was if you're discussing feminism and trans... If you're talking about ideologies on one hand, that's one thing. But actually, we're all in the same community, family, group together. We know each other as individual human beings and our stories and feelings. And surely when you're in a community, it shouldn't be about ideologies it should be about humanities and individuals do you think honey oh yeah but that that's not being allowed to be to come through everything is you have to objectify people and that's the whole um pathology of it you objectify somebody so that you don't have to treat them as a human being and that's what we are seeing happen the inevitable you know the the, the that's a trans woman that's a trans mom it's not annie it's not ash it's not you know beth it's it's not giving people names it's giving them people labels and slogans uh, to put them in boxes as some kind of threat and it's the same argument as was used for um gay men back 30 years ago oh think think about the children gay men it's ridiculous it's a ridiculous straw man argument and uh, corrupting children we couldn't be trusted around children okay so as we're coming to the end of this discussion can we look forward and have a think about how things are going to evolve how we hope they're going to evolve because we talked about being bonded together in the face of persecution from a common enemy um we hope that persecution is going to diminish and diminish further well i say further it's just blown up for trans people but um what do what do we think rosie what do you think is is the future for our community and how we stand together how we can unite I think we really can unite. I think there is cause for great optimism and hope. I think the majority of us really support one another's voices and causes. And I think we really can get behind one another. And and I think that there's huge cause for optimism and unity. And yeah, and I just think, yes, let's be careful and think for a moment on social media. I think Twitter is a very reactive medium where we do type things very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. I've talked a lot about kind of breaking 
breakups and stuff and how when I was breaking up from relationships in in days gone by we used to write long emails to one another processing the whole thing but you do that with a bit more thought and you take Mm. time over it and you really consider what you're saying in a way that you just don't on social media now so maybe we just need to have a moment before we actually post something on social media and um Looking at practicalities, Annie, um, those Pride events were horrific, more so for someone like you than someone like me. How can we stop them happening again? Well, you know, the way I think it's actually going is that this, as these minorities are having their little moment in the sun. They're being promoted by mainstream media. Um, the ideology that they have is is being promoted as, as something that is the right thing and that trans people should be um seen as a danger it's, it's rubbish you know what's going to happen and it started is that this stuff is going to the courts and then what's happening is that the laws are being established and or fed back and it's a case of no you can't do this you can't continue to do this and when you have legal backing that's when it's a case of people have to stop and think about what they're saying a bit more and it's a shame we've got to go to that Mm. but it's for that small minority of people this needs to happen for the rest of us for the rest of us who are wide and open and welcoming and loving it's not an issue Prides are an excellent example where everyone comes together with completely different viewpoints and they love each other and support each other for the fabulous festival. I go to as many prides as I can because I just get off it, you know? I know. <laughs> I've seen you at a few. We always bump into each other at prides. Absolutely. I know, I love it. I love the vibe. <laughs> so, right, Stephen, um, let's have you wrapping us up. So we've you have expressed unease with the idea of community. Um what would Ooh. what needs to happen for you to feel less unease? I think um, uh, when I tell you how I feel, listen to me. You know, yeah. I've always got a problem with the word tolerate. You know, put up with. You know, I don't put up with you. I respect you. You know, when, when we 100%. get to a stage where we can respect each other and have a grown-up adult conversation, then we can move on. And if you can joke with yeah. each other, know where the intent is coming from that the world would be a better place. And I'm so happy that Rosie is getting hitched. And all I should say right now is I also can't wait for my happy ending. <laughs> and I very Yay. much hope you get Yay. it. You saw what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> I very much hope you get it. Annie Wallace, thank you very much for joining us. You were brilliant. And Thank you so much for having me. I'm now in a complete handbrake turn to end the show. Those of us who are lucky enough to have gardens, we want to talk about how much we've valued them do- during the recent series of lockdowns. And now summer's coming. They're really coming into their own. Rosie, I know you're a keen gardener. And as you <laughs> mentioned earlier, you're getting married in your garden. Well, that's right. I'm not actually a very good gardener. Uh, We have um, uh, like decking all across our garden. So we have kind of pots and hanging baskets and stuff. But we do want to make it look very beautiful for the wedding next June. But the slight hitch in our plans is that we've got Steve, the very procrastinating builder, doing some work at our house at the moment. And he demolished our strange little outhouse. Well, it was called the cat house because it was this weird little falling down extension um, 
and kind of conservatory type thing that we had tacked onto the back of the house because a previous um, occupier had wanted to grow her tomatoes in there and also let her cat have a sort of outdoor <laughs> indoor space. Anyway, it was awful. But anyway, Steve, the builder, without really any warning, just suddenly one day started tearing this structure down. And was so, this during lockdown? Well, when when we were coming out of the oh, main no, 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 lockdown, no. and um, he was meant to be putting in a downstairs loo, but anyway, just he's he's a bit eccentric, and he started doing something else entirely other than what we'd asked him to do, um, <laughs> and we were too meek and kind of British and lesbian to say, "Oh no, don't tear down our strange conservatory." But so anyway, now we've got this weird tiled area uh, as part of our garden, and he's got to come and fix over the decking over that. Well, um, but he's so slow. God knows if we'll do it for next. June. Well, can I just say, you mentioned lesbian stereotypes. Um, <laughs> as a gay man, um, when I was growing up, I always quite liked being in the garden and flowers and growing things. And I somehow understood that that was a feminine thing. And I kind of suppressed my um, interest in it. And actually, I love planting pansies. Let's go, <laughs> let's go the whole hog. Let's go the whole hog. Pretty um, gay flowers. Oh, you know, I love and, a pansy. Um, I love a pansy. We've got so much. And we? so, Stephen, how do you feel about not just pansies, but gardens? <laughs> well, I, I just think you're being very exclusionary by by, dis, by discussing gardens anyway. I mean, the pandemic uh, affected all of us. Mm. And how many millions of us don't have gardens? I how know. many millions of us live in high-rise buildings? How many, many of us have... Uh, just one room to ourselves. How many of us have to resort to having a box on the windowsill? A box, I tell you. Hmm? I know, I have what to say. What about your Between that gardens. You have uh, a box of who, who trims the bush anyway? <laughs> I trim the bush. I have to say, um, I've that's that was on my mind a lot. Where I live, I can see several blocks, several other um, different setups in terms of residentially and um, young people in London, this is, um, where you're in a house show and they're all in their own room with no communal living room doing everything working mm. and doing everything on their bed and people having no not even a scrap of outside space to go into I'll, t- I'll tell you on a serious note what happened was that during the first lockdown you know I'm fortunate enough to have a, a garden at home and oh able, you and, do have one yes, oh. and, and to be able to sit in that space and hear nature because nobody mm. was out it was so soothing and, and to be able to get some fresh air just outside your own door, but also with the knowledge of the stress being in a confined space and other people who, who don't have that. I thought about them. Is that is that one of the positive things we're taking away from the pandemic that we've... Um, not Got just, gardens? Not, no. <laughs> appreciating... Sorry, I've moved on. I was coming from your last point. Appreciating oh. kind of the birds singing, the sounds of nature. Yes. And the little things that, frankly, when you're in a city, not just London, but plenty of other cities in this country, um, you can sometimes just, like, gloss over or just block out. You don't think it's a part of your life. Oh, I think absolutely um, the lockdown, although the reasons for it were were terrible, was a really welcome pause and sigh of relief for so many people who were really stuck in this kind of cycle on this kind of wheel of just going to work, going to work, coming home from work. And 
I just think it gave a lot of people time to reflect and think about what they want to do. And yes, go out walking the dog in the park and go out and be in nature, do exercise, go swimming in lakes and ponds. And I think it was really, it, it made people have a bit of mental space that they really needed, it, especially people who could get outdoors. I, I appreciate mm. it. it affected different people differently. But for me, one of the things I know Stephen was talking about how lockdown is a way of sort of talking about time he spent with his father for me lockdown has been a lever into talking about realizing that I'm a weird mix of introvert and extrovert and the fact that comedians are often thought of as very extrovert but I'm quite introverted and I quite enjoyed that time not actually being out in the world all the time and sort of putting on a performance and I've literally I've definitely got both so I actually found that time quite a welcome break particularly as obviously I was writing a book but um, also, I just found it this welcome pause. Mm. For me, it was that. about reflection, having time to reflect and think about stuff. And actually, my show, even though I talk about it, the, the, the starting board, is about Dad Stay With Me. But it also made me think about the meaning of life. Because mm. something like this that they didn't see coming, right? Didn't have enough PPE. This could happen again. You know, what? this is your chance now to reevaluate what you want What's out of life. What's the point of it all? What's what are point? we doing here? What do I want to get out of it? Exactly. And actually, just having this discussion now um, <laughs> has made me think, you know, we're always talking about reclaiming things, the word queer, this, that, and the other. I'm thinking, I was joking about pansies. Maybe I'm actually going to get some pansies <laughs> and properly actually plant pansies as a reclaiming thing yes. in my garden because they, it was one of the standard insults um possibly 80s do you think it was a thing wasn't it probably like, a little bit before i would was suggest it, do you think so yeah pansy, oh, pansy nancy yeah nancy boy yeah probably 70s into 80s yeah, yeah. Well, i remember that pansy wow I know. Do you have pansies in your garden? <laughs> we have Rosie. had every summer we've had pansies. Woo! We love a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, good luck with your wedding in the garden amongst the pansies. Thank you. That is about it for this week. Thanks very much to my guests, Rosie Wilby, Stephen K. Amos, Sasha Coward and Annie Wallace. I'll be back with a brand new panel and some brand new discussions at the same time time next week drop me a line if you've enjoyed the show if you want to share an experience or want to have your say if you're looking for us on social media we're on at virgin radio uk i'm on at matt came writer or you can email us on pride at virgin see you at the same time next sunday